say, Dave, do you know that One Direction had the number one stadium tour this year? No. Do you know that YouTube won't make the same licensing deal with the indie labels that it does with the majors? They won't. Do you know that Vivo only airs videos from Sony and Universal and does not censor any material? Hey, Steve, how do you know all this stuff? Because last semester I tuned into Music Biz 101 and more on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. on WPSC Brave New Radio and heard industry guests talk about all of this stuff. That's that cool show from the Music and Entertainment Industry Management Department on campus that you can call in or tweet questions about the Music Biz, right? It's the only one in the country, and it's a Stitcher Radio podcast as well. Wow, so the show airs live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. I bet they have great guests lined up. I'd like to learn more about touring using social media and DIY stuff. Just coincidentally, the semester's show will include tour manager Dave Laurie, social media whiz Sean Rosenberg, and from Clifton, Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment. When's that show on again? Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., live only on 88.7 WPSC, Brave New Radio, and And it's it's free! You're listening to Brave New Radio. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. Woo! Yes. This is going to be probably the second best show we ever had, Dr. Stephen Marconi. I'm back. Yes, it is great to have Dr. Steve Marconi back. He was on assignment last week. That's right. And uh, remote. He, has, he has cured all of the world's ills, and now he is back and making uh, the, this little world that we have here did a little bit better. you miss me again? Actually, we did miss you very much. Ah. The show In fact, was I was so busy, I couldn't even listen to the show. What, what were you doing last week? Ah, uh, who knows? He had a flat tire. So uh, what we are doing today is we are doing our Music Biz 101 and More radio show on 88.7 Brave New Radio, WPSC, which is the radio station, the official radio station of William Patterson, the university. Today we have Grammy Award two times, sorry, not just one, two times Grammy Award winning producer Rob Fusari, who will talk about his latest project, Carrie Noki. Rob Fusari, Carrie Noki! So, so why why second best show? Who's the first best show? I can't be second best show. Probably next week's show will. Oh really? Yeah. What's happening a, next week? Should I come back? Well, actually, <laughs> we have um, actually in three weeks we have Chris Butler. Do you know who Chris Butler is? Oh, I know that name. Yeah. Do you know uh, Christmas rapping by the waitresses? So keep going. Anyway, uh, he was he he wrote all the big hits for the waitresses. And he's going to be in here, and so you know so he's topping me. <laughs> he wrote Before hits. It even happened, he topped when me. you were just a little baby. He was writing hits. <laughs> I mean, I'll give him this, props. Then. Uh, Everything I'm you coming learn. in. I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> this show also proves that there is life after WPU. Mm-hmm. Yes, this entire show, from you to me to our student guest, Rena Tyner. Rena Tyner, student. Hey guys. There we go. All right. Yeah. This is Rena Tyner. No, Rob is an alum. Rob is an alum. Rob uh, got his degree in music management. Yes, he did. 
from William Patterson. The very Universe. successful. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. And this is gonna be this is gonna be very it. exciting. Yeah. Well, you did take it. <laughs> right. <laughs> we should remind everybody that this is uh, Music Biz One Hundred and One More. This is the only free advice college radio music and entertainment biz talk show and podcast in todo Los Americas. Is it Los Americas or Las Americas? Please tweet us. Yes. Just just tweet us. You may tweet us at any point. Start giving us your questions for Rob Fusari, amazing two-time Grammy-winning songwriter, producer, performer, artiste. Tweet us at, at MusicBiz101WP. And uh, who do we have coming up in the next few weeks? Next week, it's very cool. We have our uh, expert in residence for the year, Paul Sinclair. Right. The head of e-marketing and uh, digital for Atlantic Records. Correct. That's going to be That's very great. Cool. <clears throat> After that, your, your chum, Al Cohen. Al Cohen from HCM Records. That's right. And that's going to be actually very cool. And... Uh, Al has owned his own record company for years, and I was talking to him last night. He was talking about how a lot of his music has been licensed by MTV for some of their various shows, mm -hmm. and is mm -hmm. a blanket license with them. We're going to talk about some pretty cool, pretty cool things. Yeah, with he's Al. an interesting guy. After that, Chris Butler, who was the lead guy in the Waitresses, uh, <laughs> the Christmas rapping. I know what boys like. I'm just trying oh, to scratch yeah. my head a little. Oh, okay. Yeah. You would know the song. I know that right. one, yeah. You, yeah. So I, know. I know what boys like. Okay. I, can rock with I that. bet you know Christmas rapping. It's I can on. rock with that. Yeah, yeah. You grew up with <laughs> I'm all a that. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Okay, fine. And then after that, Jim Nellia, who is. Uh, did, did we mention our producer? Not our producer. Our, we have a producer, and his name is Philip Gorachowski! That's right. Philip's dad is Jim Nellia, who is an author, and I was reading his book before I came here today. And he is also the manager. No. What, personal man? What is he? He's the manager. He's the personnel, He's the personnel manager. manager. Personnel manager for New getting, Jersey Symphony. Each week, I'm getting a little bit closer. Today, I said personal, so it's personnel, which is a uh, German word. Per, well, he needs to be personal, but he's personnel. <laughs> personnel. <laughs> with with two M's. Phil's getting funny now already. Yeah, Phil is a very funny <laughs> what guy. What number he, show is this? <laughs> this is show number 23. And he's, God. I know. I can take a few weeks off now. He, he, can, he can smell his graduation. <laughs> and we are taking phone calls and texts, correct? Yes. The number, 973-720-2738. Lots of uh, questions already in the hopper. Can I ask the first question? Please. I hope it's personal. <laughs> why, why don't you guys have an air conditioner in here? Yeah. <laughs> it's a way to make the guests uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I knew there was some strategy to it. See, it that's how you do yeah, it. It's right. That's right. right. We've already won you right. Right. So the truth comes out. You spread <laughs> yeah. out the truth. <laughs> All right. We know exactly Always what we're doing. That's right. So uh, follow us on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. We're also on Stitcher.com, which was recently bought by... Deezer. That's right. Deezer, which is the huge international streaming number service. Number two. That is not in the, in the United States. Mm -hmm. Number two in the world. And they picked up Stitcher.com, which is where you can find all of our podcasts. And, of course, you can Correct. always go to the web and find us. Music is 101WP. Dr. Stephen, why don't you uh, give the third degree to our student co-host, Rena Tyner? And then we'll get to Rob. Yes, Rena. Hello. So, everybody. what did you do in your career here now that you just graduated? I know I you had an internship at Epic, then you had another one, and then yes. there was another one. Yes. How many were there? I was a super intern. Yes. I was there. I was at Epic Records for about two years. Um, the best part was the AR department, which is actually where I met my mentor. Um, his name is Shah Money XL, who is the former president of G-Unit Records and also uh, responsible for being a part of a lot of 50 Cent's career um, back in 2001. Um, he actually introduced me to Johnny Shipes, who is the CEO of Cinematic Music Group, mm -hmm. um, which has artists such as Joey Badass and um, 
couple people like that, Fatrell. Uh, and I ended up being a personal assistant for Vashti Kola, who is a film director and fashion designer. Um, from there, <laughs> I actually moved on to working for Blue Note Japan, where I currently uh, the talent management and booking coordinator. And I work closely with a lot of jazz musicians um, and also some alternative musicians as well. And I work in the Japanese department. So basically, I'm a bilingual booking coordinator. Boy. Do you speak Japanese? Yes, I do. We taught her everything she knows. <laughs> That's right. That's, <laughs> Rob, s- speak some of that Japanese that you learned in uh, the now you, I, Should I sing it or speak? <laughs> Which one do you want? Come on. Sing I can only, it, I can only sing because it. it's the left side of the brain. Just, just do, do your Japanese I'm, Maya Angelou. Uh, right. The singing part. <laughs> um, where did you learn Japanese? Oh, is that something you learned in, at home or She's something? Uh, yes. Uh, my mother is from Japan, and uh-huh. I also went to school every weekend while everybody else got to sleep on Saturday mornings. I was at school <laughs> from nine to five, like, and uh, learning Japanese. So I took that advantage and decided to work with uh, music entertainment that had to do with Japanese and American artists. Great, I think that's, that's great, and I think there's a, the great point there as well. Everybody else is sleeping. You're you're improving. I'm you're getting school. better yourself. <laughs> I'm in school. <laughs> that's great. And, that, that, and, and look, you're working and you're already doing very well. So good and for if you. I may, Thank you guys. may read. Uh, Maybe a listener or two's mind. She is the granddaughter of the great pianist McCoy Tyner. Yes. You can't smile on radio. Nobody's <laughs> just smiling. Now. Right. So let's get to our guest, if you would. Yes, let us get to our guest. And as we we're gonna we're gonna bring up two things. We mentioned earlier the phone number and the text because we're gonna be giving away some great swag. And we're also going to be giving giving away a pair of tickets, a pair of tickets, right? A pair of tickets uh, to see Carrie Noki. This is Rob Fusari's uh, alter ego, Carrie Noki, and uh, at Webster Hall on November eighteenth. Are you opening? Are you opening for Neon Hitch, or are they opening for you? We are opening for Neon. You are opening for Neon Hitch. Yes. So that'll be two tickets. Webster Hall, November eighteenth. You will have to answer a trivia question shortly. Um, okay. And probably the answer to the trivia question is, uh, you have won two Grammy Awards, and we were talking outside. One Grammy was for the Best Electronic Dance Album, which was, what was the name of the album? The Fame. The Fame by whom? Miss Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. And then, Best Single, Best Electronic Dance Single for the song... I thought that was a trivia question. Are we giving the answers? No, questions? we're giving the answers now because oh. nobody's, they don't know how. Well, what's, the question? No. what's he doing? What? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Because we want, we want to test them because they're, they're listening. Oh, they can't hear us right now? Well, they're not going to use Google because oh. they haven't gotten that far in the program. I'm uh, lost. So, but okay, so, yeah. so am I supposed to answer these questions? Yeah, or these answer, answer questions? the questions and then we're going to ask the question then somebody's supposed to, to text. Oh, okay, so paparazzi, yeah. yes. Yes, paparazzi, paparazzi was the song, the yes. Itali- and that's in Italian. So, um, <laughs> so those are he won his two two Grammys for best electronic dance album and best electronic dance single. Okay, so there we go. So, Karenoki, uh, two time Grammy winner, and where do you, do you want to start? Why don't you start? And you, 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 well, thank you, you very much. Yes. I thought he's changing the <laughs> format this week. For <laughs> no, no, because you threw it over to me, but I want to throw it. Oh back no, to of you. course. Okay, thought. so I really, really want to get to Rob because uh, he was a student in our program. And uh, this really is a great opportunity to show people that there is, as I said, life after WPU. So let's start at the very beginning. Sure. Carnegie Hall. How old were you? Um, I first performed at Carnegie Hall at the age of eight. Eight. Were you considered a prodigy? You know, that word wasn't used uh, readily 
at that time. Um, I certainly didn't think I was. Mm-hmm. I used the word more freak, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what came to mind? Because when most most kids wanted to be outside throwing snowballs at cars, I wanted to be at the piano. Mm-hmm. So I was I was I was averaging six hours a day. Classical, classical, yeah, right? Practicing. Uh, loves Beethoven, uh, Rachmaninoff, Debussy, mm-hmm. and. Um, I drove my family pretty nuts with the piano because it was, you know, hour before school, you know, three or four hours after school, two more hours after dinner. It was just, I couldn't, I was, I was attached to the piano. So, you know, very, very shortly uh, within, you know, some classical training, the, uh, my instructor at the time, who used to, by the way, hit my hands with the something, she was like a pen or something, which I think today is illegal <laughs> in, right. in a few states. Um, she, uh, she suggested that I enter these, these competitions that, you know, throughout the country uh, for piano, classical piano. And I entered, and um, you have to take uh, one, uh, you have to take either third or second or first place to to, to be awarded the uh, the show at Carnegie Hall. And that year I took third place. Mm-hmm. And then I did it consecutively for the, the next maybe six years, and I took, you know, third, second. And when I finally took first place, that was when I stopped. <laughs> right. I mean, I where I think, else is that a guy? Right. <laughs> I think I think we're good here. What's next? So um, that's when um, I figured. And how old were you then? I stopped around uh, 12, 13 mm-hmm. um, with the classical because I just didn't think that I was going to head into that. Were you listening to rock and roll? I was. Mm-hmm. I was listening, listening to a lot of Springsteen, and I, I imagined myself, you know, playing with artists like Springsteen and Journey. Mm-hmm. But I just I had no idea how to get to that place. So it was it was, and I would sit in my bedroom and just fantasize over you know over these recordings with the lights out, you know, thinking I'm playing with these artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on stage. Right. But it, it was all a dream. And um, I, I started to leave it behind for what I, I felt was, you know, reality and, and what I what I thought I needed reality to be. So I moved more, you know, into into a business side of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I say, when, when something is calling, you can't, you can't run from it. You, you can't escape it. And mm-hmm. it was like music was just, it just called. And, and every time I tried to run, it just dragged me back by the hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had no choice. Every you know, I would I would get positions and, and jobs and do different, try to do different things in my life. And it's just like it was always there, like on, on my shoulder, like that little that little angel, like you know, I'm waiting, mm-hmm. I'm waiting. When whenever you're ready to stop, you know, this one foot in the door, one foot out the door thing, I'll take you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually committed to that that it started to take me. Right. And um, after um, you know, after college here uh, at the university. I um and you studied with uh, Professor Kirkpatrick. I did. Yeah. I studied classical piano with with Kirkpatrick. He was great. He was hard though. I mean, he was like, he was really he was he was grueling, but mm-hmm. in a good way. He really got my chops up. Mm-hmm. So um and I mean, you obviously were a huge influence because not many people would put up with me, you know. And and, <laughs> and really like really like you know you, you, it was it was the encouragement like you know I was averaging like you know you know A's. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this. Uh, you know, straight A's or I was straight F's. And right. you somehow were able to to have me continue and, and like, keep fighting to find something that you know mm-hmm. that made sense in, in, in my life and my path. Mm-hmm. So, um, but so then you were left school, left school, and got, you were in got, your mother's basement. I or? was I was still living at home with my mom, and um, I was working a job as a, a computer consultant. And you were writing. 
I was writing every day. You know, I would leave work at five o'clock and I would go down to you know the, the downtown Newark, which isn't the best place you want to be in, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But I was I was taking my chances and um, I would leave work at five six o'clock and I would stay down in the studio till you know good two three in the morning and I would mm-hmm. just come back and repeat this whole cycle for you know a good good solid year. And finally, the the company you know kind of got wind to it and they they looked at my computer and they saw all these lyrics and all these notes and music and they were just like you got to go. <laughs> so, so, so they too creative. You yeah, yeah. Go. So they fired me, and um, I went home that day, and I walked into the house, and I asked. I said to my mother, "I said, what do you feel like? Can I let me just stay here one year, and um, let me just go on to let me try music full time? You know, let me let me just really go for it." Mm-hmm. And she was like, "No." No, <laughs> it's not happening. Right. She's like, you've been doing this how many? You know, I was in my my twenties now, early twenties. Right. So she's, you've been doing this for how many? Like, you know, just come on, like, you Good know, just, move on. Right. But I'm like, I promise. I said, if you just give me one year, like full on, I, you know, I haven't really done it full on. It's always been that one foot in, one foot out mm-hmm. the door. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, she gave me the year. And I just went hard. I was writing every day. I was I was down in the basement. I was, you know, I was uh, collaborating. I was, you know, just trying different styles. R and B was really big at that time. Um, you know, like people like Babyface, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of uh, you know girl groups were coming out mm-hmm. in the R and B style. And um, I was just going hard at it. I was taking meetings. I had this old beat up Ford Taurus car, and I thought, you know, I thought it was the end. Like I was giving up when my Ford Taurus broke down the, in the Lincoln Tunnel, <laughs> <laughs> and I had like you know I had like about forty dollars you know left in the bank, and I I couldn't even get the car towed. I'm like no to the music, no, that's it. You know I was taking meetings, as nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. So what, the, what do you mean taking meetings? Like who I, are you meeting with, and how are you getting those? I was meetings? I was um, I was actually I was buying the source book that actually I think Dr. Marconi <laughs> turned me on to. There was a record industry. Yeah, right. Source At the time that was. Yep. Is that still around? I think it's still yeah. around. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, it, but it was like <laughs> my copy's gone. I know yeah, that somebody stole it sitting <laughs> on your right. But it was like it's it, in the Lincoln Tunnel. Was it was like a hundred dollars <laughs> or something? I, I, yeah, I gathered up like a hundred dollars. I bought this book and I just started cold calling um, these labels and these A and R people. Mm-hmm. And somehow I just you know I, I weaseled my way through into some meetings mm-hmm. and every, everybody I met with was like yeah no just mm-hmm. not happening I don't hear anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the, the year did go by um, at my mom's and she kind of didn't notice so I kind of just prolonged <laughs> the, the time period as long as I could and then um, she uh, it was like maybe sixteen or eighteen months into it um, I was down in her basement. And I was driving them nuts there with the, with the bottom, with the subwoofer, with the whole house was just like up and down, <laughs> like moving, basically. And they basically, they hated it. You know, it was crazy. So um, she came down to the basement one night and she goes, and she had like, you know, she had tears in her eyes. And she's like, she, I'll never forget it. She was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, come on, man! Like, don't you, don't you, don't you hear anything here? <laughs> isn't there stuff? I have one song. Isn't there one hit in here? Don't you one that could possibly be a hit? And she's like, it's just not. She's like, it's not. This isn't for you. She's like, I just don't think you're built for this. And um, you know, that's when it really started to like hit me. Like, am I? What the hell am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. it's just this is ridiculous. And you know, a month later, um, I was working on a song, and someone walked into my studio that particular day, um, who was a producer. Um, by the name of Vincent Herbert, and um, mm-hmm. I was working on a song uh, called No No No. I had I had demoed the song, and um, had the first verse and the hook down, 
And, you know, we were just kind of, you know, I just, just met him that day and we were just kind of, you know, BSing. And he's like, let me hear what you got up. Like, you know, play, play me something. I'm like, all right, I don't know. This is like just something, I don't know. It's just, I, I felt it was like almost too simple. Because mm-hmm. it was like that, no, 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 no. Right. When it's really, yeah, yeah. It's like that one note. And I was like questioning it because like, no, these can't be that simple. Like, right. I want simple, but that's like, that's ridiculous. So um, I played it for him and he flipped out and he said he was working with this group um, that he thought would be a great match for the record. And that, that group was Destiny's Child. So he took a copy. I mean, I hate to use the word cassette, but mm-hmm. but something like a cassette. <laughs> and um, he uh, he played it for the A&R, uh, who was Teresa LaBarbera White's at the time for Columbia. And he called me maybe like... Four or five hours later, he said, we're cutting the song and it's going to be their first single. So immediately I thought, he's, he's full of it. Like, what's, what's <laughs> right. this guy like, out drinking right now? <laughs> right. Like, there's no way. So he, then he says, I'm sending over four DA88 you know, Tascam machines, mm-hmm. which were digital recorders, mm-hmm. uh, to your studio to uh, track it. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, I'm thinking to myself, what does that even mean, track it? Like, I didn't, I didn't track the song before. I was like, what do you track it? What are they, I, don't, I don't know how to use these machines. Right. All of a sudden... This like huge truck starts backing into my mother's driveway and starts unloading equipment. My mother's like, "What is going on now?" <laughs> You're doing drugs, Rob. You're doing drugs. I know it. So I was like, "This is like phase two. Like this is like it's getting worse by the minute." So he, they they leave all these machines. The, the studio was like literally like I don't know like maybe ten feet by like ten feet the whole mm-hmm. room. So here they're like he's got, they got the machine stacked up to the ceiling. I'm going through the manuals like what do I even do with this? Like what's a, what's a SIMP decode and what's like, I'm trying to track the music, right. and it takes me like twelve hours because mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm like one man in there, and you know Vincent was like you know make sure as soon as you track it you come to the studio and bring the tapes. Mm-hmm. So I didn't show up till like two days later <laughs> with the tapes. So I, I I get into the studio. We did it at Chung King uh, in New York City. Um, uh, and I had never been in, in a studio before, a, a professional studio, mm-hmm. that is. And um, I give them the tapes. They load up some stuff. They transfer uh, some of the the music over to, I forget the medium they were recording on at that time. It probably was a, a Pro Tools. But um, he then he then proceeds to say to me, well, okay, so let, let's start. And I'm like, let's start. I mean, I thought my job was done. What do you mean, let's start? <laughs> so he goes, you know, see, he sits me in the, you know, the producer's chair in front of the, the console. And, and there in front of me, stands in the booth waiting to be directed Beyonce mm-hmm. right so I'm like this is this this this, this doesn't something doesn't fit here <laughs> you know um so you know I give her uh, the first line um of the uh, of the verse give her and then I give her the second line and all of a sudden she she sang it and I was like oh oh, oh okay okay <laughs> that's what it's supposed to sound like right <laughs> and then it was like it was that was the moment like that was the lightning strike that was when it just, it all changed. Um, we recorded um, the song with, with the girls. And it was like that day was the, the, it was the tornado that picked me up and it took me on this, this ride that mm-hmm. has been going ever since. Uh, you know, from that day on, I went on to do, like the next month I was working on, you know, artists like Montel Jordan, Queen Latifah, Master P, um, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, I was just, it just, this whirlwind of of CC Winans, which is one of my favorite artists, by the mm-hmm, way, that I've ever mm-hmm. worked with. Um, it just started this. The it just it was the break, I guess they call it. It was that tipping point, that moment when everything changed, and, and you really didn't know what you were doing. I I really didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think I still do, to be honest with you. I really don't. It's like 
But I, you went with your intuition, intuition, it, it your was, imagination. It was all. It was all. It was all feeling, and I, and I still, you know, I still go by that, you know, that feeling. I wait for that inspiration, just like anybody else. Like people always ask me, like, you know, how do you get your inspiration? I'm like, I have no idea. Like sometimes somebody will just say something, or they'll look at me a certain way, or, or way, or I'll read something in a menu, or you know, I'll just hear like a a, a horn, mm-hmm. a car horn, or I just don't know. I wish I had like that magic, like you know, here's what you could do, but just. You don't know when it's coming, mm-hmm. and you know you just have to wait and be patient for it and enjoy the ride. And that's you know that's really what's been going on here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why don't we ask our trivia question? Yes, please. All right. Here's the trivia question. Tweet us right away at Music Biz One Hundred One WP. Get ready to tweet us or call text nine seven three seven two zero twenty seven thirty eight for a pair of tickets to see Rob Fusari Aka Karinoki at Webster Hall on November eighteenth, opening for Neon Hitch. The question is, he has won two Grammy awards. For what did he win those Grammys? Why did he win these two Grammys? What are they for? Let us know on Music Biz 101 and more. Brave New Radio 88.7. Hey, Dr. Steve Marconi. Did you know about our Music Biz 101 and more theme song contest? I did and do, but only because I co-host the show. It probably wouldn't be good for you not to know. We're off the topic. Here's the contest that's open to every listener in America. Not Russia. No, I'm mad at them. It's simple. Submit an original tune to be used as the theme song for Music Biz 101 and more. A panel of judges is standing by ready to pick the winner. Any style of music, right? Right. Vocal, instrumental, it can be funny or serious. Our blue ribbon panel is looking for something that stands out. One of those old love songs in your sock drawer won't win. Because that song probably sucks, right, Steve? Funny. All entries are due by November 5th. And the winner will be announced on our show December 10th. What does the winner get? The winning song will be played at the beginning and end of the show and broadcast live on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. here on WPSC. Plus, you'll get verbal credit in each show, and don't forget the podcast. The show is mobile on Stitcher Radio, so if you win, you can have your parents hear the theme song from their phones and then listen to us interview the best of the best of the music and entertainment industry. This is how Justin Bieber got his start. No. This is how Lady Gaga got her start. No. This is how Paramore got their start. No. But it might be the start of your career. Tweet us for details at MusicBiz101WP or go to our contest page, MusicBiz101WP.com backslash theme song contest. Do it now. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Just like the bootlicious is Rob, you're sorry. Still looking for a co-host. That's right. Uh, so, so, Rob, you wrote this guitar lyric when you did Bootalicious? No, I didn't write that guitar there. That's Stephen Nicks. Okay. I, I've never sure, heard of her. Or, or, I've never, she's a has-been. She's no Robin. Sorry. <laughs> sorry yeah. um, you're listening to, we are all listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. You may call me Professor David Kirk Philp. We're here with Dr. Stephen Marconi, who you may call... Call me anytime. Call me anytime. Anytime. Just don't call him late for dinner. Uh, we want to bring up to you real quick. We are one week away from getting all entries yes, in. How's that going? It's going very well. Our, okay. theme, our theme song contest, you just heard the promo for it. It's going most excellent. And it looks like Rob Fusari Aka Karinoki is about to enter the contest as well because it's open to anybody. It's I'm open to anybody. It. I'm taking right. it. Yeah, he, he's right. going to take, he's going to win this contest because he wants to come back and get on the radio. <laughs> but this is a great way. If, um, Rena. 
If you're an artist, yes. would you like to get your music played on the radio? Of course. Would you like to get your mu music played on the radio for free? Of course. And you don't want to pay $100,000 to some guy to, to get your radio. No, no. Never. I want Here, you to love it. I want to free it and play it for free. That's right. <laughs> we are going to. This <laughs> is the way we would free <laughs> Willie and we would uh, allow. This is a great way to get your music played on the radio. Mm -hmm. Here at College Radio, this is where everybody starts. You two start on College Radio. Tom Petty started on College Radio. Three Doors Down, I'll start on College Radio. So this is a great way for people to get started with their careers. Enter this contest. It costs you nothing to enter. And if you lose, you, you've got nothing but great, <laughs> great experience. And then if you win, you get on Philip Korowski's show. You get on our show. You get played for a whole year on can't this show that. minimum. You can't, can't yeah. buy that. You can't buy love and you can't buy the time on Philip Korchovsky's show. He is bribe free. So that's the Music Biz 101 and, one, 101 and More theme song contest here on Brave New Radio 88.7. Dr. Marconi, finish up. I mean, you know, the conversation. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. uh, let's end the, we're going to end the show really yeah. early because we're bored. No. Uh, yeah, of continue, continue where we were with show, the second best so, show we've ever had. Yeah, so Rob, you were on the map. I mean, you were, you know, you were on the map. You were on some people's radar. I was. And then that fateful day that somebody, who was that that turned you on to Stephanie's music? Right, so a friend of mine introduces me um, to this girl, Stephanie Germanana, and um, everything changed, um, I guess. You know, in that in that moment when she sat down at the piano and played a song that she had written for me at my studio. The song was called Hollywood. And it just, like, to me, it's just like, you know, when time stands still, it was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was watching um, history. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was watching, if, if I could go back in time and watch Bowie at his first meeting with a you know, producer or label, it felt like that. Mm -hmm. and it, everything just kind of warped. And stood still, and I, I just, I just like, I dropped everything I was doing. Um, Had she heard of you? She did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she heard more of the the records like Bootylicious was uh, Bootylicious, and um, you know some of the other more R and B stuff. And she knew that wasn't her, but I get. I think the thing that she didn't know that 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 was only one side of me, mm -hmm. one small slice of, of what you know, because I had grown up on artists like Yes and the Police and mm -hmm. you know the Bee Gees mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. So, um, so again, it was like she, she, she came in and after that day, you know, I just invited her back to my studio day in, day out. And we worked every day for, you know, a good, good solid year, just writing and developing her sound, um, her look, you mm -hmm. know, her live show, you know, the name, just everything was just, you know, it just, it came very naturally cause she's, you know, she's pretty damn brilliant. Did um, she know the queen song that? Eventually, you know this. This is you know this is the debate. I mean, it, it's been debatable, and I don't want to say she didn't know it, um, mm -hmm. but I can't say she knew it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, she's young. I mean, you know, I mean, right. it, she she still is young, and and I I knew it, and I and I mean, it's, it's my recollection that you know I would just you know it was one, it still is one of my favorite songs, mm -hmm. um, even outside of Queen, just in general from that era, and um, you know I, I think you know. She, it just it just became part of of that her entrance where she would walk into the studio every day and I would start singing you know the the song mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. she would start singing it with me and it just became like our like entrance it was like instead of hello right it was like that was her our hello mm -hmm. and um, you know it just it's something that like stuck to her like we never got the song that I felt was you know my you know Radio Gaga to her or vice versa mm -hmm. but we got the name mm -hmm. um, and. You know, the, and we got the. You know, it was like the, the once that name 
kind of came in, everything just started to glue mm-hmm. more. And I don't know why that was, but even the music changed, excuse me, and the whole thing just started to take shape. You know, it's funny how just even they can name sometimes like, oh, this just, this now this makes, it all like starts to fall into place. Like yeah. click, 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 click. And it was that moment with the with the name that um, things just started to, to really fall into place. We started to move into a more electronic, you know, drum machine, synth, uh, pop, you know, bass direction. Um, um, lyrically, things started to change. Um, it just it just it just fell into place in that moment when the um, the name came in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had a great career then. Obviously, people can Google you or go to Wikipedia or whatever. But uh, you then, I guess, felt that this should be a, something you want to do for yourself, something that you had some energy as an artist inside you rather than a producer, which is a great gig, of course, but you felt there was more. So there was sort of this metamorphosis that was yes. evolving from out of you. Um, yeah, and I think it, it evolved out of, you know, even the Gaga uh, period because after Gaga it was almost like what the hell what do I do after Gaga yeah, right you know what I mean it's like and I for for a little while I, I was trying to convince myself that well I could totally top this like this is just one I, I can go way past this mm-hmm. but you know and, and at that time there were so many new artists that you know were they were coming to me they were emailing calling and sending me their music they felt that they were the next, you know, that next thing, mm-hmm. the next Gaga. And um, I listened to most of them, to be honest with you. And um, I met with a lot of artists. I wrote a lot of songs trying to, you know, see if, if somebody had that that thing. And, you know, after, I, I don't know, it had to be a couple hundred artists that I recorded and, and just tried some, some things on. But nobody, up until that point, you know, this is, I guess, three years later after the fame um, not, I felt not one had given me that same feeling that I felt, you know, the world slow down mm-hmm. and stop spinning when I heard her. Um, and I, it, the music just started to fade. I mean, that's the best way I could explain it to you is that the music, everything I, I started to hear that I was doing coming back just started to seem one dimensional and it didn't have a life. It didn't, it didn't speak to me in any way mm-hmm. and it was it was a very trying time for me because i mean I, I i said to myself is this it i mean is does it end here and if it did and then, then that's it and it, it was a good run and i i can't complain about it you know because what the journey has been amazing mm-hmm. but it was almost like one it was like i had to do one more thing just you know and if if, if if this was the last thing to to to, to just be the, the the period the bookmark, mm-hmm. it was going to be this 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 me me not so much even performing at that that time. The, the thought was more, let me I got to get a song coming out of that speaker one more time mm. that that brings me to, to almost to tears that brings me life. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm leaving. Out, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going out in a blaze of glory, and nobody. It didn't matter if anyone, anyone was gonna hear the song. It was more, I had to do this for me to, to maybe to leave this behind, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, go on to the next phase of my life. And I, that that morning, it was on my birthday, um, uh, on February 26th. Uh, it was almost two years ago now. That morning, I, w- I woke up and I, w- I was, I felt I was at the end of the, end of the road. And I, I just, I sat on my couch early that morning and I wrote a song for no reason. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes the way to write a song. 
I wasn't trying to get on, you know, Justin Timberlake. I wasn't trying to, you know, do mm-hmm. another Lady Gaga. I wasn't thinking about who was recording, who was looking, what artists I was looking for. I just wrote a song again, just to write a damn song. And um, I wrote a song called Master of None that morning. And it just, it came out like, you know, like some of, a lot of the records I've done that have been successful very quickly and very almost like just falls out. Mm-hmm. You know, like a baby being born. Mm-hmm. That was those last moments. And uh, it was just, it was just, and it felt very Depeche Mode. It felt like I wasn't trying to do anything. I was like letting, you know, whatever was in me just come out. Some more organic. Way more organic. It wasn't, there's no thought behind it. It wasn't like, let me find the perfect snare drum for the track. Let me, you know, look through my catalog of, you know, great hi-hats and synth. I was just like, call up a synth. Like, I hear something, just go. And I just went and I, um, I finished the song. It, was, it had to be in less than an hour. I wrote it and I, and I did the production all in that hour. And later that day, I booked a studio because I wanted to try a vocal. I didn't have you know any kind of setup at my apartment to do a vocal. So I went into the studio and I laid the vocal down and it just, it felt great. It just felt like it was like almost like being baptized or something. It just, mm-hmm. it felt like I, I could see the sun again, even, even if it was just a glimpse of the sun. And that night I went out to dinner for my birthday with, with some friends and, um, I came back to the studio, and in some people that come to the studio, you know, to, to wish me happy birthday. And when I came back, there was a group of people around the console listening to the record "Master of None," and just seeing their reaction mm-hmm. was like it, it brought this whole other energy to me. It was like, and they 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 were just like, "We've never heard you do anything like this. Like what what is like what is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this this yeah. was this was it. And, like, and upon that it was to me it was like you know what." I might have a second chance here, or a third chance, what, what have you. Right. But it was one more chance to 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 find the music, the music again, mm-hmm. and to live the music. And in that, Karaoke was born. Mm-hmm. And Karaoke came out of a, um, a buddy of mine who was, you know, I was writing with at the time. He said, you know, you should call yourself Karaoke because I was going to a lot of karaoke bars in attempts, you know, to try to find that love mm-hmm. and the simplicity of the music and just go for the joy of it. Right. So he's like, you should call it karaoke. And I, and I said, what if we flip that uh, kind of upside down and call the karaoke? Because again, I never considered myself a singer, singer, you know, with a range and a training. It was mm-hmm. just, it was more, you know, a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, but karaoke started to take on these layers of meanings. It was the carry, like hold, no key, like walk through life free yeah. of keys and doors. Um, you know, it, it had the karaoke obviously resemblance which, which right. i loved right um it you know it, it's very close to a girl that i went to high school with her name who i always had a crush on <laughs> you know so it, all of a sudden it's just like like you know like the, the gaga thing it started to fall into place and, and the clicks started happening for me and then um i had had you know i was partnered up with this 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 other guy and he came on <clears throat> to do shows with me because so i said let's let's do some shows so we did a couple shows and shortly into to, to the project he left and one night, I was just, I'll never forget, I was i was kind of singing backup and playing synth and doing more of the, you know, the, the DJ part. Mm-hmm. And one, at one show, I think he just got really freaked out. We were doing a, a lounge in the city. And as the song starts, the intro starts, I look over to my left and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's you're on like, stage. And I'm, on, I'm on stage. And I think later on, like during the performance, I, I see him sitting at somebody's table, like actually having a beer with them. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on right now? So in that moment, I'm like, oh no, oh no. So something just clicked in me. And I went into this just, I'm like, I, I like, forget it. I took the mic and I went center stage. 
you know, right, right into people's faces because I'm right. like, I had no choice. Yeah. At <laughs> otherwise, people are like, what are you doing? Like, what is this a joke? And like that night, it was like again, it was like, you know what? That's it. It's it, it's it. Um, I want I want I I want to be on the stage. I want I just want to live on stage. And I I felt that you know that that I caught the bug. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've been doing shows like. You know, at the, we do a lot of stuff at the box in New York City. We just got off tour with uh, Macy Gray, opening for her. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing obviously these neon uh, hitch dates coming up in the city and in Boston, and then we, we go on the uh, the RuPaul Drag Race uh, tour um, through uh, you know several months throughout the country. So it's just been it's been on the road and doing a, a million shows. So it's it's amazing. We have a winner for the tickets, by the way. Oh, we right. Her name is Devana Apravado, and the question was: uh, You won the two Grammys, one for best electronic best electronic dance album, the other for best electronic dance single. And the answers were: uh, the single was Paparazzi, and the album was: Is it The Fame or Fame? The Fame, right? The Fame, right? Mm-hmm. And Devana Apravado has won those two tickets, so Devana will find me, and I will find the tickets, and then I will make sure that you we, that that works out. So congratulations, Devana. And when is that? When's that Webster Hall date? That is uh, uh, November eighteenth. What day of the week is that? Do we know? That is a Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday, November Mm eighteenth. All right, there we go. Congratulations. How about some tweets? Yeah. Alrighty, we have some tweets today. Um, Aaron Glagliardi asks. When writing for other artists, do you find you have a standard structure for the songs and then you include the artist style? Or do you make the song um, first for the artist? When I first started, I I did it that way. The lighter, I used used to try to prepare myself and and do something for the artists before they came in. And that that started to backfire on me because it just, it never felt cohesive. It never felt like a marriage. Later on in my career, um, I learned that that wasn't the way to do it. And I started, I didn't prepare much at all. I let them come in. I let them tell me their story. I let them like really sink in their 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 energy and their vibe and their personality sink into me. Because I, how do you write for somebody if you don't really know them? I like, you know even like getting to know somebody in one day that's even like, almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like you know the more I can get out of them, you know, I didn't I don't really care if they even wrote lyrics or wrote melody. Just just even just sit in the room with me while I while I do the writing and the production. That's fine too because I can get your energy. So mm-hmm. I, I, I switched it around later in my career that I learned that I got to get your energy first to do something that's cohesive and it marriages you. Okay. I've, I've, as uh, you want to, why don't you, while uh, we look for another tweet, I have a question for you. Um, I was looking at Bootalicious has four writers attached to it, for example, and Wild who, Wild West. Who are those four writers? Be, be, there's you, there's, <laughs> there's Mrs. Nix. Or she's right. Ms. She, she deserves some. She deserves yeah, some. Yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah. The, we, with the we, sample we there. there. I, I don't know who the other. I don't remember who the other two. Oh, Beyonce's on there, obviously. Beyonce. Okay, and then a fourth person. It's probably the, the person who wrote with Steve Nicks on Edge of Seventeen. Okay, Martin. it could be. You think is that? Yeah. Okay. I think so, so because it was really me, me, me and Beyonce. And so let me ask this question: um, because you did when you wrote the song, were you thinking I want to use the sample from Edge of Seventeen in the song? And if that was the case. Well, why don't you answer that question? Then we could talk about how did you yeah. get that. that no, I, I, I actually I wanted to do a um, I wanted to start with something from actually uh, I the Tiger Survivor, mm-hmm. and I went through my CD collection at the time, and I, I knew I had the record somewhere, but I couldn't find it. But I knew that because I had in looking for it, I, I had seen the Stevie Nicks Grace Hits uh, record, and I knew that Edge of Seventeen had that similar you know thing that riff. So I'm like, I'll, I'll put that in there for now, and then I'll change it after the fact. Obviously, I never got to change it because everybody fell in love with the track. And then um, we wrote the lyric to the track the way it was. And then when I, when I wanted to change it, 
um, you know, Beyonce's manager was like, no way, you're not changing a note on this record. By the way, the guys of Survivor actually listened to this show, and right now they're freaking out. That could have been ours! That could have been ours! They're all upset they wanted to buy new cars. So when you decide, okay, we're going to use the lick from Edge of 17, did anybody have to do any talking to anybody and say, by the way, we have to get permission to use this lick, or was it, hey, it's not going to be a problem? Oh, no, it's always it's always got to clear mm-hmm. it. So um, Stevie Nicks was obviously honored to, to, to be a part of it. I think one of the things that she wanted was to be in the video. So so she was in the video. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she, um, yeah, I mean, she, she's a, it's a huge contributor to the record. But, you know, I always, I always find it questionable in, in the sense that, well, well it, but I guess, I don't know. I mean, is it Stevie Nicks? If you're just using that, the guitar riff, is it Stevie Nicks or is it actually the guy who's playing the riff? Mm-hmm. Did Stevie Nicks actually tell him to play the riff? I, mean, I guess this is something we'll never know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't he deserve some? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a valid. You know what I mean? I hate that. Question. Watch, he's going to come after me now. Like, <laughs> 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 a lawsuit in the mouth. He's listening to the show was, as well. He was a work for hire, so it didn't. Right, he's a work matter. for hire. It's probably uh, like Waddy Wachtel or somebody who was the guitarist, actually. You go back to uh, 81, the Belladonna album. Yeah, with, with the curly hair. He had that yeah, curly yeah, 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 yeah. With the, it was the probably John Lennon specs, actually. <laughs> right. um, and because in the same vein, um, Wild Wild West mm-hmm. also was credited to four writers. Obviously, you, obviously, Stevie Wonder. Right. For, and then um, I don't know if Will Smith was one of the four or not. Do you know who yes, the he other was. T- He was. Do you know who it the four? It's Kumo D because that Wild Wild West was Kumo D. Okay. That was his oh. riff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he got he got five percent, I think, for it. Well, that, that's a, that's the question because you you look at all these songs today. Uh, Wrecking Ball had five writers. The yeah. Monster had like seven writers. Yeah. And how are different people getting their five percent? Well, you it's know? like that's a great example because like you like we're taking different pieces of, of different records and different songs. So it's like a collage. So everybody has to get their their piece. So you know, they're not Steve, necessarily in in the writing. No, mix. like obviously Stevie that that was legendary. You know, I wish. Right. Um, he got he got sixty percent of the publisher. Was that part of the deal though? When you went to the public, well, you had to get two. Oh, it's yeah. just publishing. So when you went to the publisher, yeah, clearance, yeah. Um, they said, okay, if you want to use this song, he gets sixty percent or no deal. Do you recall that? Yeah, it was, he actually got sixty percent. He got a, a half million dollar advance. You know what's funny? I was I used to work with that division of Universal on the master side. And when they were trying to get permission from Universal, I was in the office with on the licensing for, yeah, no for, for a while. while, while. <laughs> I was in this woman, Rhonda Maumland, for Universal Music Enterprise. I was in Santa Monica, and she was playing me this song, and she goes, I have to come up with how much money we need to ask for to uh, And you couldn't talk her down? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was you at the time. Oh, That's Jesus, a funny thing. <laughs> I remembered that today as I'm uh, serving spaghetti to my kid. I was in the office when... Uh, <laughs> When we we screwed your uh... yeah, she was probably like, we don't even want to do this. Just say the largest number we could think of, and they won't do it. Well, you know what they did? It was probably a trade. They probably because that was with who was that was Columbia. He was signed yeah. to. Yeah. Um, they probably said, "We'll give you Wild Wild West. Give us X amount of dollars in return. We need Stevie- X, whatever track from you guys right, for right, right. our other artist and probably. some money." So yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, that's okay. crazy. Uh, Rena, do you have another tweet? Yes, we do. Nico D S. Who was the easiest client to work with, either personally, personality-wise or package-wise? Um, Bobby Brown. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and you have worked with Whitney, so... Uh, yeah. When you work with Whitney, you actually work with Bobby. That's why I said that. Um, easiest? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say... C.C. Winans. I mean, I always go back to C.C. Winans. I don't know, like, she... she she probably doesn't even remember me. 
mm-hmm. which is the craziest part about it. But she took me in that that weekend like a mother, and like she had this this piece about her that I just can't explain. She actually she invited me out to dinner with her family into into her hotel with the family just from doing a record. It was like I was family for her, and I had never been treated like that by an artist before. But I got to say that the 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 most fun session was Will Smith because it's just it's ridiculous he's ridiculous I can't like he had me like I, I really thought I was have, gonna have to go to the hospital from the laughter you know when that your stomach just yeah. is like you, I'm like please please just no more no more jokes and yeah. he loves that and he just he would just keep going until like you were literally passed out on the floor like you mm-hmm. couldn't breathe from the laughter he's just like, that was the most fun I ever had in a session by far mm-hmm. Tim Geisen asks um, in reference to Lady Gaga and uh, Destiny's Child, um, how different was the radio version compared to the demo? Um, the demo for Paparazzi is the record. So it's the same version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't change. One, nothing changed. I think they just mixed it with an engineer, just you know, tweaked the, the sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was, um, what was the, uh, the first song? The, it was, uh, uh, Destiny's Child and uh, Lady and, Gaga. And so the Destiny's Child was the Bootylicious? Yeah, I guess. That was the demo, too. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that was the demo, too. All right. It makes it easy for me. I don't have to cut a record. <laughs> well, sometimes doesn't the demo capture yes, it all, that's, and then the producer sometimes takes it the it wrong way. Yeah, that's how I'll always love you. I heard that they remixed it like a bunch of times, and they, they went back to the demo, and that was the one that, that was the record. Uh-huh. Quick, quick question for you about uh, publishing, because we, we touched on that. Mm-hmm. For you, which came first? At what point did you get signed with a publisher after you had a couple hits under your belt and then you were finally able to get a publishing deal? I actually got the publishing deal um, on as soon as a, a publisher knew I had a um, the first single on Destiny's Child. Was that Sony ATV at the time or was it somebody no, else? No, uh, Warner Chapel signed me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small deal, but like, because, um, you know, they, they there was so much hype, I guess, that I didn't know at the time about Destiny's Child, that they were really pushing them at the label. So when Warner Chapel got wind of that, they came. They came for me, um, and then other publishers came. But I had already been in negotiations with Warner Chapel, so the publishing deal came first. You know, based on that one song. And what was the term of your first publishing deal? Would it, would uh, it... Horrible, horrible, and more horrible. <laughs> no, no, I, I, <laughs> like the length. Yeah, yeah, like the length. Oh. And then, okay, and then the next oh, question. That, yeah, is, so did you have a lawyer too? Horrible, horrible. Um, yeah, he was horrible, horrible, more horrible too. <laughs> really, really? Was he an right. entertainment lawyer or Uncle he, Gus? No, <laughs> my cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, right. he, was yeah, he, 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 he was talking to the Utes. <laughs> You're yeah. um, No, it, it was just like you know, um, I was new, so I, I had to take the lumps, and I stayed in that deal um, for a good you know six years, mm-hmm. and then I finally you know I, I made the term. And then I signed, you know, some more bad deals after that. <laughs> so when we taught you all of this, it, did, it didn't sink in, or, or no, it did. no, you did get representation, but no, you didn't have good representation. Well, I mean, it's not that I had bad representation. It's just that you know, it was a fast-moving time for me, mm-hmm. and it was like you know, it was almost it became like I would do things on a handshake, and that's crazy, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, you you take people's word for their word, and right. then you don't. <laughs> right, you know. So, but no, I always, I always had to have representation on every deal I, I had, um, and you know, I had, you know, I had the law, you know, some some of the law stuff from you know, from the college um, that definitely played into you know at least some of this the, the negotiating and, and understanding the terms. Like, I wasn't just like this right. aloof artist who was like, oh, okay, I guess you know that sounds good. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was just that the business was so you know fruitful then 
that you know it just everything just came so quick and moved so fast mm -hmm. and that you know for me to you know i signed a deal that um my song commitment meaning that i had to record and release through major labels uh, x number of songs to move on to the next term yeah um and one of the deals was like 20 songs wow like today that's unheard of like, <laughs> you, God. you know so you, you until you get the 20 songs out you don't get your next advance. Right. So imagine like the advance is like a salary. Yeah. You have to wait for that next salary period until you get the 20 songs out. But I was doing 20 songs a year at the time. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. today, there's no way. Right. Different business. Yeah. All right. Nicole DeRosa asks, how much or little of an identity have you given Carrie Noki? Um, it's funny because everything's flipped with Carrie Noki. It's like, I feel like Carrie Noki... Um, Karaoke is like you know, it is it it is my identity, and I feel like it's almost like now the imposter, if you will, is is the Rob person mm. in mm. me, and he's the one who has to um, share, you know, share the body and and, sh and and look for time in that body because Karaoke wants wants it all, and mm -hmm. he's taking it all, and he knows how to get it, and he knows how to he knows how to kind of squash Rob. If that makes sense, I know it sounds a little bit like mm -hmm. it's not multiple personalities, so don't 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 take it like that. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of that, but, but um, he like Karaoke has taken over, and 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 Rob has to fight for time. It's like you know, with my family, even like you know, they they when they call me Rob, and like they're still talking to me like as Rob, and like I'm just I'm not there. Like they see it's like until you could get on the train and 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 follow me here, like, then we could we could all play happily together mm -hmm. but you know rob um he's still there but he's had to sit now and karaoke stands mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everything you're doing though is uh because so many people are listening are diy artists so everything you're doing is pretty much on your own everything. right self-funded self-produced everything all um, the videos you have a ton social, of videos yeah, all the, you know it's funny you could get videos done today like at very reasonable prices like you know you people think like you know yeah, i gotta spend a hundred thousand dollars no you don't you can get a video a great video for a few thousand dollars today mm -hmm. like there's websites you can go to that you know people will submit to you you know ideas and concepts and and, and they'll do video for a couple thousand dollars you know you could market your record for very little money you know promote you know the internet radio there's so many tools and, and so many different ways it's like you but you have to do the work like it's, it's it's like it's massive it's a massive amount of work it's just as much if not more work than actually coming up and doing the music that's like i always say that's the easy mm -hmm. part mm -hmm. it's what happens after that you know it's it's the marketing it's the how you know how many are you, are you doing the shows are you finding what your niche is your demographic Mm -hmm. you know, are you playing in those areas that you know like I mean I even through this tour with Macy I, I was able to identify certain cities that really gravitated more to, to Karinoki mm -hmm. and it's like I know now like I have to concentrate there to, to, to build you know to build that buzz mm -hmm. you know and let it like we talked about it before like you know getting those getting radio in the certain areas and mm -hmm. building it from there so yeah it's all it's all you know it's but but very you know not spending a ton of money because that's that's not it like you this is one thing you can't buy you can't buy a hit record. You can't buy a hit artist. It doesn't matter. Like people have tried it. You could have ten million dollars, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. It's 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 lightning in a bottle, and you got to just make that swirl happen until it's your time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because um, I saw a karaoke show, and I've seen the videos. Of course, interesting that you would team up with Macy. Were you looking for an African American audience? What did you think about that at all? Of course. Um, and, and the thing that came to mind is we wondered, is Macy's, you know, crowd, right, the right demographic for karaoke? And then 
Well, it, it hit me. I had written for Macy in the past. Mm-hmm. So I'd written uh, songs for her. And then it's, it hit me. The other thing that hit me was that she's a real artist. And, you know, karaoke is, is, is about artistry. It's about bringing back that essence of, of what you felt when you saw Bowie. You know, what, what you felt when you saw, uh, you know, not that look, I'm not comparing myself to Bowie and Kurt Cobain. It's not that. Right. But when you saw these artists, like you, there was something, there was another layer or many layers mm-hmm. that existed here that you weren't just listening to another song. You, you felt a life. You know, you felt a soul. Mm-hmm. You felt just, just, you felt the earth move. Like, I hate to sound cliche, right. but you actually felt something in the earth move when you watched these artists for the first time. And I, I feel that Macy has some of that. And you could tell with the way her fans react to her. There's something legendary about her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, that was, that was, just, that was just enough, you know, of, of a catch that, that, you know, I'm honored to be opening up for her it mm-hmm. was enough for me whether mm-hmm. you know i felt almost like it might have been like prince opening up for you know the stones at yeah. shea I, it could have been that right. and look in some nights i'm not gonna lie it, it was it was like they weren't getting it but most nights they were getting it and that's uh-huh. what you do it for uh-huh. well, it's funny speaking of prince uh our outro song is going to be could it be um be who you are um, be who you are, yeah. which which reminds me of Prince. Besides the song, but even yeah, the way yeah. you titled it, "Be," oh, yeah, and yeah, then the letter yeah, U and R, I'm thinking I would die for man. you. And, that's my man. Yeah, and uh, so that's cool. We actually need to wrap it up, unfortunately. Oh, so uh, hey, win that song writing contest, and then you we can. We didn't give away back. any swag. <laughs> On that you know note. we're gonna you know we have social media. We're gonna be, keep listening, um, and we have the podcast. When the podcast comes there out, there we go. go. No, we're marketing Rob. So when the podcast comes out, we're going to use uh, that to get people to listen to the podcast and get people to know all about karaoke. What do you think about that? Thanks for having me. There we go. Yeah, so Rob Fusari, karaoke, thank you so much for being here. We want to thank uh, Rena Tyner, our student co-host for the week. Yes, yes. We want to thank Philip Gorbachevsky, our producer. (laughs) Philip! And, of course, we want to thank the, the esteemed Dr. Esteban Marconi. Well, thank you very much. I'm back for the next two weeks. Yes, he is, he is back. And I am, of course, your professor, David Kirkfield. Please yeah. call me David Kirk. That's right. That was me. That was me. You've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more and on Brave we, New Radio. And what are we listening on the way out? We're, this is Be Who You Are by Terry Noki. Check it out on Doesn't YouTube. Matter. That's right. And uh, we're uh, Music Biz 101 and more WPSC 88.7 Brave New Radio. And always, we want to say adios.